Welcome to One Haas, a podcast devoted to bringing the Haas community closer together through your stories. I'm your host, Sean Lee, and my mission is to help open our eyes to the network we never knew we had. Today, I'm joined by Austin Yoder of the EWMBA 2021 program. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sean. Very happy to be here. So Austin is one of the first uh, 2021s I'm having the honor to interview. It's been really hard to track you guys down because you guys are busy with school and studying and just getting acclimated to school. Mm-hmm. Let's start from the beginning and hear a little bit about where you're from. Sure. And just before that, I want to say it's totally an honor to be here. I was listening to your podcast as I was applying to the program. So it's great to be on the other side of the table. Thank you. So I was born in New York, grew up in Hong Kong and Jakarta, studied Mandarin when I was living in Hong Kong, forgot all of it. And then uh, I wound up majoring in Chinese undergrad. So the the best way that I thought I could put that to use was to move to Taiwan after undergrad and try to start a tea company, which I guess is like the next logical step, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I spent three years in Taiwan selling tea, confusing a lot of people about why there was an American guy in Taiwan selling tea door to door. (laughs) And we started a a social enterprise over there also teaching entrepreneurship in high schools and at-risk youth communities. Was this in Taipei? In uh, Taipei and south of Taipei also in in a different city called Shinju. Yeah. Totally inspiring to work with high school kids that are interested in entrepreneurship. And after four years in Taiwan, it was about time to transition back to the States. And I was pretty lucky to land at Stanford Business School, which is where I work during the day in a group called the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies. Mm -hmm. And I've been working there for the last uh, three years now. Wow. You say you're from where? I was born in New York. New York. And so you came back from Taiwan and just made a huge shift to the West Coast. That's right. (laughs) I guess we are closer to Taiwan. (laughs) Yeah. It was an easier flight. When you're looking for opportunities back in the U.S. at the time, were you targeting just West Coast or... You know, I knew that I wanted to be somewhere that I could learn more about entrepreneurship, Mm. having just been a scrappy entrepreneur for four years myself. Right. I knew I wanted to be somewhere where people were focused on learning. You know, there was an opportunity that came up at CES and that was dream job for me. And it's been a fantastic place to, to learn and grow. I think that's a great segue into your current position. Can you tell us about what you're doing at Stanford? Sure. So CES works with MBA students who are interested in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. starting their own companies or joining early stage companies, and also students that are thinking about different path to entrepreneurial leadership called search funds or mm-hmm. entrepreneurship through acquisition. Mm-hmm. So about half of my time is spent on search funds and search fund related stuff mm-hmm. in that regard. I was lucky to help work on the last search fund study that we published in September of 2018. So that's a report of a survey of uh, market trends and the search fund industry. You know, what are the returns like for investors? How much money have the entrepreneurs made through this space? Hmm. What industries are the most attractive for search fund entrepreneurs? Right. I'm lucky to work with great faculty and get to support classes related to search funds and uh, get to work with the students that are interested in search funds. So if there's if there's search fund stuff around, I try to be helpful if I can, because I think it's a, a great community and a really fascinating topic. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. What is a search fund? Yeah, great question. 
So a search fund is a vehicle through which an entrepreneur, typically a recent MBA grad, will raise a little bit of money that lets them walk around for about two years. Mm -hmm. And their full-time job for those two years is just to look for one great company to buy. Mm. And there's a couple of characteristics that search fund entrepreneurs look for. So strong recurring revenue, two to $5 million in EBITDA. So a profitable, stable business, often from an owner that's ready to retire, but might not have a plan for secession in place. Mm. So there's an interesting mega trend in place where lots of baby boomers are ready to retire right now. Maybe their kids don't want to take over the family business. Right. So those owners need two things. They need liquidity so that they can retire and a plan for secession so that they can you know, see the business that they built for so long carry on. I see. Has the search fund model been around for long? Yeah, the search fund model was conceived of by Irv Grausbeck, who's a professor at Stanford right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's often credited as kind of the progenitor of the, the search fund model. Very inspiring professor and a, a great entrepreneur himself. So the first search fund that was ever created was in 1983, 1984. Wow. And since that time, there have been 325 first-time search funds raised. There are some entrepreneurs that go on and do this two or three times. Wow. And there have been you know, different alternative models that have emerged in the space where people are doing kind of a self-funded search or there are some incubators and accelerators now that are helping people search. This question just popped up in my head. How vulnerable are uh, search fund companies that, you know, that these uh, entrepreneurs find to disruption because they have been around for so long? I think it depends a little bit on the industry, Mm -hmm. right? So people say software is eating the world, but maybe it would be helpful to give a a couple of well-known examples from the search fund world. So, you know, there are people will typically target business to business service company. Mm. So something that has really strong recurring revenue. Right. And maybe it's a little bit in air quotes for everyone listening, unsexy by Silicon Valley standards. Right. Increasingly investors have become more comfortable with software companies, but a couple of examples, you know, one of the larger search fund companies ever acquired uh, did insurance for mobile phones right when car phones were coming out. Huh. And, you know, they kind of rode this big wave of industry growth. Everybody has a mobile phone in their pocket right now. Yeah. Um, So, you know, insurance. Right. But it was a great niche in the insurance industry that had fantastic growth. And, you know, some of the success certainly was attributable to just the industry growing. But the the leadership team is probably one of the best leadership teams uh, ever. Yeah. So just to repeat the question... How vulnerable are search fund companies to disruption or in general terms, what might a search fund company look like? Right. You know, a lot of people think of search fund companies as as kind of low-tech companies and why would anybody want to go and buy something like this, right? Right. So a couple of examples in, in general terms of what a company might look like, you know, an assisted living facility. Mm-hmm. They have uh, field management software and specific niche verticals. Right. Um, there are more and more software-based companies or visitor management software for schools. Right. These are unsexy in air quotes by Silicon Valley standards and that mm-hmm. they're not 
pure software. Right. But what a lot of search fund entrepreneurs are attracted to are the fundamental characteristics of the business mm-hmm. uh, that they buy. So strong, stable growth, profitable companies, and maybe there's a little bit of room to come in and grow these with a fresh perspective. Right. But you're buying a strong business, and then you as the search fund entrepreneur invest up to 25% ownership in the company. Mm-hmm. And coming right out of an MBA program, I think that that's a pretty compelling alternative path to entrepreneurial leadership. You know, you're buying something with product market fit already instead of going out there and slamming your head against the wall in a startup, yep. um, which I can only say because I've done that myself. Right. So you're, you're buying a company with good fundamentals. So you just mentioned uh, Vest 25%. Do they put in any money themselves? Is that required? Uh, It's definitely not required. So the way that the economics work in kind of the nutshell snapshot version, uh, you raise your search capital. That's your first round of capital from investors. On average, the search fund entrepreneur is going to raise $400,000. That gives them two years of runway to look for one great company to buy. Mm -hmm. When they acquire the company, they're going to go back to their investor group, raise the acquisition capital, they don't have to put any of their own capital in at the search phase or the acquisition phase mm-hmm. unless they're inclined to. Right. The investor community, I don't think, expects that you do that. You're, right. you're putting in your sweat equity, and that's you know that's kind of biggest investment. Got it. So the day that you close the deal, you're vested 10% ownership in the company. Another 10% ownership will vest over four or five years. Mm-hmm. And then based on performance hurdles that you hit, you can vest another roughly 5% in the company. So out of that first 400000 on average mm-hmm. that you raise to go search for a company for two years, uh, what is that money going towards? I, I imagine part of it's going to your, your salary. Yep. Right? But... That's right. You're not paying yourself $200,000 a year. <laughs> yeah, you're not paying yourself $200,000 a year. I think the median salary for searchers is around 100,000, mm-hmm. kind of between 100 and 110. Okay. So, you know, maybe compared to some big PE jobs that you might go into, your initial searcher salary maybe a little bit lower, right? Freshly coming out of the MBA program, but that four hundred thousand dollars is going to pay your salary. It's going to pay travel expenses so that you can travel around the United States or or whatever country you're searching in mm-hmm. to meet with as many business owners as possible. Legal expenses, due diligence expenses, mm. office expenses if you're renting an office, any other related expenses that come up along the way. What happens if you run out of cash? <laughs> if you run out of cash, so. About 70% of the people that raise a search fund historically have acquired a company. Um, So 30% have failed to acquire a company. I see. Or they close their search fund without an acquisition. Hmm. And if you don't acquire a company in the two years or you just run out of cash, then you close down your search fund and you go find another opportunity. I see. So this is actually something that many prospective searchers are concerned about. What happens if I run out of capital and I haven't bought a company? Mm Mm-hmm. Many of the investors out there will say that not buying a company is not the worst case scenario. Right. Buying a bad company is the worst case scenario. Right, right. Because if you buy a company and you miss something important in due diligence, yeah. you're now the CEO of a company that's struggling and maybe it takes you and your investor group three to five years to figure out how to exit out of the company. And yeah. so if you have conducted yourself with integrity and worked really hard over that two-year period, Mm -hmm. even if you don't find a great company that you think is a great fit for you, it's okay to close that down and your investor group will often help you find 
an interesting opportunity and some other company in their portfolio, or in some cases, searchers have gone on to work with search fund investors mm. for a couple of years, they might then go out and do another search themselves. Right. Um, some of them have transitioned into private equity roles because they've spent the last two years of their life just diligencing a bunch of companies yeah, and getting yeah. really smart on a bunch of uh, niche industries. That's fascinating. I Obviously, nobody goes into this thinking, what if I fail? There is that risk of well, if I don't find anything within two years, how do I go find a job? Because what's on my resume? You know, I just I traveled around looking for companies for two years. But I guess uh, to what you just stated, you do gain very valuable skills uh, in terms of learning how to do due diligence, probably valuations as well. Yeah, you know, I think you gain a lot of skills that are useful in the finance world. You also develop a lot of interpersonal skills as you have conversations with business owners and try to negotiate, you know, a leveraged buyout of their business. Right. Over two years, you have a much stronger network of business owners, right. maybe in a particular region that you've been focused on or just across the, you know, the nation. Right. And if you've done a great job, then you have an investor group that is likely to support you in finding yeah. something that's exciting as a next step. How much guidance do you get? in how to embark on this journey of the search fund, uh, looking for a company, I should say, and learning about due diligence and, and say, valuations. And how much of that do you need to have coming in versus how much you learn kind of throughout the process? Yeah, great question. I think there's a, a common misconception that you need to come from a private equity or investment banking background okay. in order to do a search fund. There have been people that go into the search fund world coming out of Teach for America mm. or coming out of a nonprofit background. Right. Um, people that don't have a traditional finance or private equity background. And you know the way that they are able to find a great deal is through the soft skills, the leadership, the interpersonal skills that they have themselves in the areas where they may have gaps or weaknesses. Their investor community is there to support them. Right. So if you've never bought a company before... It's kind of okay because you're working with great investors that have bought a lot of companies over right. the years with other searchers who are doing this for the first time. I see. How big is a network of investors for search funds and how difficult is it to acquire that initial 400000 for these investors to support you to go on this this journey? Yeah, great question. And and just to drill down on that 400000 a little bit, typically people are going to raise that search capital from a group of 10 to 20 investors. Okay. So they're each individually writing relatively small checks. Mm. And that gives them kind of the option to see all of the deals that you surface over the next two years. Okay. So what's really more interesting to the investor community is putting more capital to work in the acquisition phase. Right. There's more and more capital coming into the space. You know, the returns have held up very well over time. Mm -hmm. I think the aggregate returns are higher than they are in VC and private equity worlds. Wow. So there's there's more investors that have been attracted into the space. There's new people coming in all the time. And it's it's always great when they you know maintain kind of the collaborative spirit of the the search fund community that right. exists at the moment. Right. I think for prospective searchers out there that are considering raising search capital or they're thinking about raising a search fund, you know, a great way to start is to speak with some searchers out there. 
you know, people who are actively searching at the moment. And if you are thoughtful and deliberate in your exploration and you can articulate why this path seems like a fit for you, mm -hmm. then searchers, other CEOs that have gone through this before, or other students and MBA programs, they're going to be really willing to put you in touch with investors that they work with themselves. Mm -hmm. So I would say there's more capital right now, I think, than searchers. Mm -hmm. Like if you're considering this and you can articulate why it's a really good fit for you, mm -hmm. it's a good time to be a searcher at the moment. Okay. And uh, where does the prospective searchers start? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. CES, the group that I work in, puts out a couple of documents that I think can be really helpful for prospective searchers out there. Mm -hmm. um, I would probably recommend starting with the search fund primer, and okay. that's kind of an, an overview or how-to on search funds, and that'll give you some real insight into what the search fund model is and how to think about it as it fits with you and your career. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to nerd out with the numbers a little bit and see what are the aggregate returns and how much money might you expect to make in different scenarios than the search fund study, the most recent one that we put out was in 2018, and we publish that every other year. Um, so that's got all of the like nerdy stats and stuff. And for all of the nerdy MBAs out there, I think that could be a lot of fun. Okay. Harvard Business Review has a, a book that you can find online and it's a great read. It's called the HBR Guide to Buying a Small Business. A really useful book with great perspective and fun to read through, uh, you know, over a weekend. Mm -hmm. The Polsky Center puts out a podcast about entrepreneurship through acquisition, and they interview a lot of searchers and CEOs who have bought companies through the search fund model. That's another great resource. And then uh, I would also give a special shout out to a website called searchfunder.com. Mm -hmm. And they crowdsource data on the search fund community. So I think they have a great interface and it's an interesting online community too, where they share a lot of news and resources related to search funds. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're looking for how to connect with searchers who are active right now, that would be a great place to start too. All right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about your time at Haas so far, uh, your great. first year. Actually, before we do that, I'm really curious, right? You're in this exciting role at Stanford uh, Center for Entrepreneurship Studies, right? What made you come get an MBA? <laughs> yeah. The more that I've learned about search funds and the more that I've done research and met people in the community, the more exciting the idea of a search fund kind of became to me personally. Mm -hmm. So the reason that I applied to business school in the first place is uh, I'd like to go and do a search fund myself one of these days. Right. Is it MBA kind of one of the criterion? It's definitely not a criteria, but if I if I was really honest with myself while I was applying there were gaps in my knowledge, you know, uh, around finance or different functional areas of business that I thought I would really benefit from flushing out and, right, and right. kind of, you know, diving deep on in a, in a great MBA program. So, you know, if I think about, okay, I want to be a CEO of a great small business out there or a small to medium sized enterprise. What are the functional things that I need to be able to do right. to run and operate a business? Right. Pretty much everything you learn in an MBA program, right? right? HR, Finance stuff, accounting, leadership, yeah, leadership, right? Soft skills, managing people. Um, how do you navigate difficult conversations with your employees? Right, like all of that stuff. So, I actually think that an MBA, you can put everything that you learn to use very quickly on the search fund path. Mm -hmm. Maybe more so than through traditional entrepreneurship. That's amazing. Now, I've been hearing uh, a lot of great things about you and the things that you're doing here at Haas. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the initiatives that you've started here at Haas uh, in regards to search funds? 
Sure. So one of the things that actually convinced me to apply was a search fund panel that I saw led by two EWMBA alums hmm. and a great search fund investor in the area. So I, I came up here and I saw this panel and I didn't want to leave my role at the CES because I learned so much about search funds there. Right. It's a great place to learn in general. And I you know, I was thinking about applying to business schools, but I wasn't really sure when the right time was. And I came up and I saw these EW alums talking about their experience. And I was like, man, this is the perfect program for me. I can keep my day job and continue yep. to learn about search fund stuff at CES. And I can two nights a week come up and pursue my education at night. So it was kind of this aha moment. And I was like, man, this is, this is a great program. I should definitely apply here. And so after I was admitted, very grateful to be in such a wonderful community. I have tried to create more awareness about the search fund model on campus as I'm able to, mm -hmm. and not to evangelize the model or to say that this is what everybody should be doing. Right. But in addition to regular investor presentations, which happen organically on campus, we were really lucky this year to have a visiting professor from ESA Business School join us for a boot camp. Um, so Jan Simon teaches at ESA Business School in Barcelona, which is a beautiful campus. Mm -hmm. um, and he he flew over. He led a weekend long boot camp. We had you know thirty to fifty people give up an entire weekend from the full time, the evening weekend, and the EMBA programs. Wow! And it was a great learning experience. Working with Bill Reinfuss, who's in charge of the finance group around here. Yep. And uh, we're hoping that that can transition into a real four-credit class, which would be a great step, I think, for visibility of the topic across campus. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And through the Private Equity Club, we've seen more and more interest from students in learning about this topic. Right. If there's demand, I'm just trying to help spread information about this alternative path to entrepreneurial leadership as mm -hmm. I'm able to. Right. And private equity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have two more years left. Do you have any thoughts as to what your plans are kind of for the next two years? Yeah, any, I do. Any goals that, you know, that milestones you want to hit? So I think for students out there who are thinking about doing a search fund one of these days, like myself, mm -hmm. Maybe one of the best things that you can do while you're a student is form relationships with people in industries that are exciting to you. Mm. So if you think that you might want to go do a search in the healthcare space or in the software space or whatever, you have a student email for as long as you're a student. And right. while you have a student email, just about anybody is going to be happy to talk with you and have a conversation. Yep. So, you know, my plans for the next two years are to try and use my time as a student to form deep relationships with people in great industries and learn about those industries as much as I can so that at the point I'm ready to start a search, I'm in that much of a better position to go out and do that. And maybe they can help make introductions to great business owners or at the least I'll be starting from a place of strength and kind of with some knowledge of industries that are exciting to me. That's a solid plan. Is there Thanks. anything else that you want to share with us about your time at Haas so far? You know, I think the the culture here has really impressed me. Like everybody talks about the four defining principles and and more than they talk about it, I've been really impressed with how much the students here embody those principles. Right. And that's been like such a wonderful surprise to me. There's great people here in this community. I feel really lucky to be a part of it. And so for any prospective students out there who are thinking about where to apply, 
definitely apply here. Well, this has been a real pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank you for tuning in today. My aim is to bring the Haas community closer together through your stories. We're always looking for Haasies willing to share their stories and experiences so that we can give you more insights into the different programs, different careers, and ultimately different perspectives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please feel free to email me for suggestions on how I can improve this podcast, or if you have any recommendations on people or content you'd like to hear. My email is reachshawn at berkeley.edu. That's spelled R-E-A-C-H-S-E-A-N at berkeley.edu. 